Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Those of you who are men, um, I don't know if you pay attention to this, but when I'm in a men's restroom, you know, the public restroom, I, I can't help but to notice those men who don't wash their hands when they leave. It just kind of creeps me out, but it's, it is that way. And uh, I hope you wash your hands, and I hope you wash them before you eat. It's a good idea because we know uh, all about germs, and when you wash your hands, you actually wash the germs off your hands, and that's why soap is helpful, because soap loosens the germs up and helps them slide off your hands a little better, okay? So it's all about getting them to slide off your hands, and there's ways to do that. There's certain length of time you ought to do it, and you, you can look that up, uh, so on and so forth. We have good reason to wash our hands. Now the Jews in our gospel lesson for this morning would wash their hands before they ate. And that's a good thing to do. But they didn't understand about germs. They had another reason for washing their hands. They said, it's a command of God. Well, the only problem with that is you look in the scriptures, the, old, the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, there's no command from God concerning the washing of hands before you eat a meal. It's not there. But the Jews have an answer for that. They say, ah, it's not written law, it's oral law. And see, when Moses was on Mount Sinai, God told him, command everybody to wash their hands before they eat. But Moses didn't write it down. He passed that command orally to Joshua who passed it on to the elders and they passed it on to from one generation to another and and so it became a law that you had to wash your hands now washing your hands is a good thing but when you do it for the wrong reason it's not so good and this is what I mean it's very easy to burden consciences with guilt. Because you'll say, you didn't wash your hands before you ate, and you know it's a command from God, and you've just sinned because you haven't washed your hands. When God really said no such thing. And then you begin to look down on people who don't wash their hands before they eat. And that's what's going on in the gospel lesson for this morning. Take a look at verse 1 on the back of your bulletin from Mark chapter 7. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, so this is kind of a, um, what, what would you call it, an interrogation. They want to observe Jesus to make sure that he's following all their traditions. They saw that some of his disciples, I mean, some, ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. 
for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So they're finding fault with those who don't wash, accusing them of sin against God. Now, Jesus will disagree. If you take a look at Roman number one, Judaism has at least two sources of authority. There's the written law given at Mount Sinai, but then they add to it the oral law, the traditions of the elders. It's not written down. Well, it wasn't written down until the second or third century, fourth century. These things were finally written down. So they have two sources of authority. And you remember what Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and, and love the other, or he'll despise one and, and, and cling to the other. And it's like that with two sources of authority. When you have more than one source, ultimately, of authority in your life, you're going to choose one or the other to favor and subordinate the other one. Roman Catholicism has two sources of authority. It has the Bible, and then it has the tradition of the church, as interpreted by the Pope. And so ultimately, when you have two sources of authority, one's going to carry more weight than the other. I'll let you guess which one does. Mormonism has two sources of authority. There's the Bible, and there's the writings of Joseph Smith, and also the pronouncements of their prophet in Salt Lake City. He just said something this past week that you shouldn't use the term Mormon anymore. We'll see how that flies. But you're going to subordinate one over or under the other. Christian science has more than one source of authority. The Bible and then the writings of Mary Baker Eddy. And it's really no contest. I mean, they're going to understand the Bible through the lenses of Mary Baker Eddy. She's the authority. And all of these movements make the same claim. It's this, that Scripture alone is not sufficient for your salvation. You need more. And what they add is the more that you need, you see. Now that contradicts scripture itself. St. Paul wrote these words, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is to say, scripture is sufficient for your needs. Whatever good work God may require of you, scripture is enough to equip you for it. And if you have to add something to Scripture, what you're really saying is, Scripture alone isn't enough. It's like trying to add something to the work of Christ and His finished work at the cross. 
when you add something to Jesus, you're actually subtracting from Jesus. You're saying whatever he did is not sufficient to save. You see, that's, that's the problem. So Roman numeral two, Jesus rejects the tradition of the elders. He just flat out rejects it. Calling them the commandments of men and contrasting them with the commandments of God. So let's look at verses 6 through 8. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart, and take note of that, their heart is far from me. What does that mean? We'll, we'll go into that in just a moment. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You see, one is going to be supreme over the other. You can't have two equal sources of authority. One will always win out, and the other will suffer. And then point A, for Moses said, look at verse 10. For Moses said, now this is from God, honor your father and your mother, you see. Fourth commandment. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, here's the tradition coming in now, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, devoted to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. So what's going on there? Simply this. People would will something to the temple, to the temple treasury. It might be a piece of property. It might be some money. It might be some livestock, whatever it is they will designate it to go to the temple treasury at some point in the future. But then let's say an emergency arises and their parents aren't able to work anymore. You know, people didn't retire back then. They just kept working until they couldn't work anymore. And so they're not able to work and now they need support. Well, the temple officials would say, no, you can't touch what you've devoted to God. See, that's, that's given to God. You, you can't use that money. And so mom and dad are going to suffer as a result. That's what's going on here. The tradition overrides the command of God, in other words. Roman numeral three. Jesus teaches the priority of the internal over the external the priority of the internal over the external. And I quote 1 Samuel 16 there, for the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We look at the outside and what's going on outside. God looks at the interior. And point A, rituals are visible actions. That's the key. Everybody can see them. 
So when we do them to be seen by others and to earn the approval of others, our hearts are far from God. We've forgotten about the Lord, and our focus is on our peers and pleasing them. And I cite Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. There's that word again, hypocrite. means somebody who goes through the motions, who, who's an actor. He's acting for an audience. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Nothing more is coming their way. This is it. In other words, their hearts are far from God. Now notice in contrast to that, Jesus, point B, Jesus accomplished our salvation by disregarding the approval of man. And we follow Jesus when we have the same disregard for what our peers are thinking of us. I cite Isaiah 53 there. He was despised, meaning Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. But surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him as one stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted by God. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, pleasing our fellows rather than God. But the Lord has laid upon him, you see, the iniquity of us all. You see, in order to suffer and die for our sins, Jesus had to ignore what others thought of him. And that's why Jesus says this in Matthew 6, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And I, when I hear those words, I think, oh, that is so hard. It is so hard. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, to disregard what your peers think of you is to have a high regard for what God thinks of you. And when you ignore what men think of you in order to do whatever God wants, your heart is near to the heart of God. Again, when you ignore what others think of you in order to do what God desires, your heart is near the heart of God. It's not far, but it's near his heart. That is faith. Faith knows that God sees and God approves even when men do not see and do not approve. That's faith. 
So point four, Roman numeral four, are human traditions and rituals, are they good or are they bad? Now, a, a tradition is a belief or it is a behavior, and we're usually talking behavior here, that's passed down from generation to generation. And we have many traditions here. There are many traditions out there in this secular world even, Thanksgiving and other holidays, you know, graduations, there's all kinds of traditions. So are they good or are they bad? Well, first, we have to get our source of authority straight. Point A, Jesus teaches that there is one source of authority for God's people. It is God's word. That is our source. Every other source of authority must be subordinated to it. God's word is the authority. And point B, point B, the Lutheran movement is a conservative, not radical, reformation. We were a, and are a conservative reformation. Lutheranism retains the mass. Now, it's an altered mass, okay, but, but we, we, we retain that Western rite, the worship that's been handed down through the years, we, we retain all the major parts of it. We retain the church year, the different seasons of the church year. Why? Because they focus on Jesus. They keep our focus on Jesus where it belongs. We retain lectionary readings. You know, it's not up to me every week to pick, to whatever text I want to preach on. I could do that. But the lectionary readings help me keep the focus where it needs to be on Christ and Him crucified, rather than whatever theological hobby horse I might choose to ride. Vestments and so on, clerical vestments, these robes I have on, I don't have to wear them. Uh, there's a, a, a denomination called the Lutheran Free Church they believe the same as we, uh, but they wear a suit and tie, a coat and tie, the pastors do. Nothing wrong with that. But, but see, this is a conservative reformation. There's the radical reformation as well. Um, they, they, they ban all kinds of things. You can't have a cross in church. Why? Because the Bible doesn't command you to have a cross in church. If the Bible doesn't command you to do it, it's prohibited. Our belief is, if the Bible doesn't prohibit it, it's allowed as long as it doesn't undermine the gospel. We have freedom in regard to these things. Radical Reformation would not allow candles in a church, wouldn't allow a cross, wouldn't allow clerical vestments, the things I have on, which symbolize the worship of heaven, that's what white symbolizes. Someday in heaven we'll be worshiping the Lord in white, so, you know, get used to it. But see, this is, that's the radical Reformation, and you see evidence of that in, in other churches. And they're, they're wonderful Christian people, don't, don't get me wrong, but, but there's a lot of rules, things you can't do. That's not us. Point C, we judge all rituals and traditions in light of the gospel. In light of the gospel. 
I was, uh, this past Sunday, I was in Philadelphia uh, visiting my younger daughter, Ivana, and we went to Logos Lutheran Fellowship in Center City, Philadelphia, the only Missouri Senate church in the city of Philadelphia. And it's very small, just a few people there. And we got there late, um, and, the, and the doors were locked. And, and so we didn't know what to do. And Harriet was up by the door, and I said, just pound on the door. And she pounded on the door, and the pastor came in full robes, and he opened it up, and he said, there's an aggressive panhandler that comes into the church, so after the service starts, we, we lock the doors. And, and I said, okay, well, that's fine. Well, I'm glad we're here. So, so we were there, and um, it, it's, it's a little high church, you know? Uh, and, but it was, it was kind of interesting. Uh, when, when the minister would consecrate the elements, uh, for example, the, he would say the words of Christ over, over the, the host, the bread, a little bell would ring to clue you in that, okay, now the body of Christ is present in and with the bread. And then he would consecrate the cup of wine. A little bell would ring. Oh, by the way, he would kneel before these elements. And I thought, okay, this is high church. It was, it was kind of nice. And, and, and I asked myself, is there anything in that tradition, because it is tradition, uh, borrowed from Rome, is there anything that undermines the gospel, that negates the gospel, that takes away from the work of Christ? I have to admit, no, there isn't. But there, if there is a tradition that says, if you do this or that, you'll gain merit with God. If you do this or that, God will forgive you more than he already has at the cross. If you do this or that, you will supplement the work of Christ and, and gain entrance into heaven. Then you're saying that Christ's merit is not sufficient for your salvation. You, you see, to add anything to the work of Christ is to subtract from the work of Christ. We should never do that, tradition or not. Never, ever do that. My friends, the gospel is the good news that we are forgiven by grace alone, through faith alone, in the merits of Jesus Christ alone. This gospel saves us, it sanctifies us, and it is the standard by which we measure everything else that we do. The gospel is the one tradition handed down by God by which we judge every other tradition. In Jesus' name, amen.